Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're on Team Human, where we challenge the operating systems driving our society, reveal the embedded codes, and share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make living people so much more than our algorithmically derived behavioral profiles. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, an intervention by people on behalf of people. Playing for Team Human today, the most connected human on earth, author of Don't Unplug, Chris Dancy. So again, to me, the technology, as connected as I am, has become a beacon, a sigil, if you would, for my love. If I'm going to be surveilled, I'm going to love through it. Chris will be explaining how technology saved his life, not by shielding him from nature and the body, but by amplifying the natural cycles with which he'd lost touch. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. You can join Team Human and support our effort to find the others and hear their stories and share their strategies for exercising human agency in the face of corporate, political, and technological control by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. For the next two weeks, join us as a founding subscriber for a buck per show and get a free signed copy of my new book, Team Human, coming out from W.W. Norton in January. You'll also get access to premium content like our subscriber-only call-in show where we answer your questions, videos of events, special articles, and more. You'll also get free admission to Team Human Live events like our upcoming show on this Thursday evening, August 16th at Civic Hall in New York City, with artist-journalist Molly Crabapple and author-musician Jace Clayton, a.k.a. DJ Rupture. Find out more about that at teamhuman.fm. Click on Live Events. Best of all, you'll get access to the Team Human forums where you can find the others and organize the Renaissance. (laughs) 
I sometimes realize my own value has changed over the years. I used to be the young visionary who could tell people about the emerging digital future. And I'd help relieve their fears by showing them what about the future landscape had the same shape as things with which they were already familiar. Like email, it's just writing letters. Or hypertext, it's not weird, it's just free thought or lateral thinking. Chaos math, well, think of it like emergent patterns, like in, in nature or in the ocean and so on. But now it feels like my value is to tell highly technologized people what life was like before the net, before smartphones, before digital recording, to help us retrieve the values that may be left behind and to see some of the origins of things that we might not remember. I see the changing relationship between people and technology pretty much everywhere. I guess it's just what I do. But the easiest way to gauge their ever-changing impact, to really see their existence, is to go to some really traditional place, somewhere you got super familiar with maybe as a kid and growing up, so you could more easily identify what has changed since then. And this happened for me big time last week. I went to a Mets game with my daughter and I saw the latest iteration of that moment when they use a big meter on the jumbotron to gauge the noise level of the crowd. Now, I don't know if that meter was ever a real thing. And when I was a kid, they'd put this meter up on the scoreboard and they would tell the crowd to scream. And the louder we'd scream, the higher the meter would go until we pegged the needle. It was that same sort of thing they use at the end of a talent show where the, the audience votes for the winner, the most talented person, by their show of applause. And they have a little meter, and whoever pegs the meter wins the show. And by the time I was going to baseball games in the 1990s, the scoreboard had become the big video jumbotron and it was capable of super rich graphics and they did this new high res full color version of the one simple little meter and it was intercut with the words make some noise and the crowd would dutifully scream to try to peg the meter and when we did the whole animation would explode as if we'd broken the whole meter but the more games I went to, the more similar the animation seemed to be, until I watched it really carefully and came to realize they were using exactly the same animation no matter what. The volume of the audience had nothing to do with the meter. It was fake interactivity. And I don't know that it was because real interactivity was so hard to do, or because real interactivity wasn't as effective at convincing the crowd they had succeeded no matter what. I mean, maybe if they were only, you know, a few people in the audience that day, and they still wanted to make it look like they had pegged the meter. I'm not sure. But they, they convinced the crowd that they were being successful no matter what. And at the Met game last week, they played the make some noise animation, only in this, the latest incarnation, it didn't even 
pretend to respond to our noise level. It was more of just this sign or an icon. They just flashed it for, your, for a few seconds. It was it was like the uh, uh, you know the paint bucket in Adobe Photoshop that little icon to do backfills or uh, the the garbage bin on a computer desktop. It was a, a picture of a meter that meant make some noise, even though it wasn't a real meter or even pretending to be. And the crowd responded just as dutifully, on cue. The audience loudness meter went from a thing that measured us to a thing that pretended to be measuring us to a picture of a thing that may as well be a dead metaphor for the youngest people in the stadium. Like when we say time is running out and almost no one realizes it's a reference to the sand in an hourglass running out an old timekeeping technology, or let the cat out of the bag. Well, I'll let you look that one up. So it's a really weird place to get to with our technology. But I have to admit, I prefer a wink like this than the outright lie of a fake meter. The sight of people trying to influence a faux interactive meter is way more pathetic than people responding to a simple visual cue, even if they're not fully conscious of what the picture represents from back in the history of the real world. But it makes me curious. I kind of long for the real interactivity we're leaving behind as more of our feedback mechanisms are replaced with illusions or, or these symbols. Maybe everyone knew all along that their votes on American Idol don't really count, or that their consumer feedback is less a way to do product development than just to market products to us more effectively that they were going to make anyway. But feedback, real feedback, is a primary means of perceiving, evolving, and differentiating the living from the dead. Whether or not there's a meter anywhere to measure it, make some noise and see if anybody hears you. Well, playing for Team Human today is one man who still knows how to use technology as a feedback mechanism. Chris Dancy, a.k.a. the most connected man on earth, who just finished his first book, Don't Unplug, How Technology Saved My Life and Can Save Yours Too. I have to admit, I had my doubts about inviting on someone whose 24-7 relationship to surveillance technology and monitoring devices sounded like a transhumanist nightmare scenario. But Chris is trying to use technology less as an escape from the natural and social worlds than as a way to find them again after decades of estrangement. This conversation reminded me how important it is to find the others, the real others, in order to learn just how human and simpatico the supposed strangers really are. Chris Dancy. Hi. Thanks so much for being on Team Human. It's been... Uh, we probably emailed for several years off and on in different ways. Yes. I begged you to be on a show I did a, in 2013, a podcast. It was going to be global. And what happened? You were a big hit and you were on. You were gracious. And, you know, I'm from the school of Rush. I'm from Rushkoff. You read all the books. So <laughs> I was nervous, almost as nervous as I was today. But uh, it was good. You did, you did a good job. Oh, thanks. Someone should, should put you on more shows. 
Uh, so I want to go to the to the beginning of the story, uh, and sort of, but before you became a, a kind of a, a quantified self, indexable, if you will. Yeah, and so so index indexable, and the the man's most the world's most connected man, and all as as my Google search will tell me about yes. you. Um, so you were you were kind of having a hard time with life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, uh, Life Inc. happened to me, right? Yeah. So I uh, turned uh, 40 on uh, 2008 and uh, weighed about 320 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, two different blood pressure medicines, thyroid medicine, been on antidepressants at that point for 22 years, benzodiazepines at that point for 20 years, hmm. um, constantly angry, constantly raging, uh, sex out the craziness, which the sex didn't change. That part's still there. Um, yeah, I just had a lot of, I think, adult challenges, but I was propped up by a system that kept me going because I, I made some money for the company. Doing what? I was in IT, so I was a SQL DBA from my entire career from the 90s into the 2000s. By 2008, though, I'd been such a good DBA and did such a good job at explaining technology and problems that it actually moved me into sales engineering. So uh, basically, they'd bring me in if they absolutely needed to close a sale. And then from there, I moved into cloud computing for from 2008 to 2012. But they, they just prolonged the problem. And then for some reason, you started documenting a lot of stuff that you were doing. You just had good files. No, I just uh, one of these things where one day I was looking at the, the screen. I was looking at my computer history and I saw this porn and other things. I was like, I was like why don't I remember this? And I thought, why, did, why does my computer know so much about me? And it just became obvious to me in 2008 when I started the project. Um, if I knew as much about me as the rest of the connected world, I, I might be able to make a difference. Uh, being busy is hard, but uh, forgetting is harder. Right. So you you basically noticed how much is sort of what I was looking at in around 1999 when I wrote Coercion. I was getting really concerned with the way that the uh, techniques of the direct marketing industry, which was really just note cards about homes mm -hmm. and your mortgage and your car and things like that, the way that was getting you know automated by the digital yeah. world. If originally it was Oracle. Everyone yeah. was worried about that they had a CD-ROM with everybody on it, as if that AOL, was yeah, AOL CDs. Yeah, that that was going to destroy the world. But um, then you so you basically noticed that your your between your browser history, and so your the Google browser history, history, and then the other thing is I went to find something on. MySpace, and I couldn't find it, and I couldn't search. And to this day, you can't search Facebook. If you want to find something you wrote on Facebook, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought, this is kind of shitty. This was really important. I told this person how I felt. Basically, I was weaponizing surveillance in our relationship, which we do every day. We just call it screenshots. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't find it. So I, I thought, OK, why, what can I do? And I just created a little teeny hack in the beginning on something called Yahoo Pipes, which just moves data from one place to another. And I just started moving anything I did in email or anything I did online into a Google Calendar. And then I started color coding it. And you know, I could get way into the technical aspects, but we'll wait. And you'll tell me how much you so want. You had, so you had this Google Calendar with all these colors and things Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. Thousands then, of entries a day. And you were living in Portland at the time? At that time, I was living in Colorado. I was living in Denver. And then when did uh, you went to a, one of Amber Case's events? Yeah. So how, how did I actually Who was become a former guest on Amber, Team Human? Yes, I mean, how can you not love Amber Case? Um, right, a Portland she, cyborg. She's uh, my cyborg mother. Mm -hmm. She gave birth to my circuits. So, yeah, I went to Portland to cyborg camp. Uh, yes, there is a cyborg camp. Check it out online. Um, and Amber, someone showed her what I was doing, and she's, you got to show everyone. I'm like, I'm too nervous. And then she just literally 
I just showed the room, and in the room there was a reporter from Wired Magazine, a guy named Clint Finley. I'm uh-huh. a huge fan of Clint. Uh, actually, I think we had you on our Mindful Cyborg yes. podcast back in 2014. And Clint was, you know, he was like, this is interesting. And then the first piece got written about me, but it was right after kind of mainstream web popularity. So, it, it, I mean, yeah. Between- so they wrote that, and then what started to happen? Then, then you, you got deeper into this. Well, I was already pretty deep into it by 2020. 2012, 2013, when I, when I did the first, um, when I was at Cyborg Camp, I got discovered. You know, one story led to two stories, led to three stories, led to being in TechCrunch, led to doing television, uh, Fox News. I mean, I did so much TV in 2013, 2014. Two things happened at that point. And it's not just because you had a, an, a great calendar. No, I think people were fascinated that I was somehow navigating having all of this devices all over my body. I think two things happened. One thing's the business world was like, oh, we can extract what he's doing and understand how to get to our consumers more. And the other side of it was people who were like, oh, you're a health story. Look so out. so we didn't cover it. So you had stuff on your body. You're not yeah. just recording stuff in Google. No. So you start putting things on. Like yeah, what? so for the, for, the, for the first three years, it was just anything. I, anytime I touched a piece of technology. So 2008, 2010, 2011 was anytime I touched. So any programs I used on my phone, on my computer, any, anywhere in my house. But you what? You touched it. Touched it. And then well, you wrote it down? No. So the information is I did something. So if I saved a file, and something watching my file system would say, you saved a file. So I kept track of when I created work. What times a day was I productive? What times a day was I not productive? What time? So but you a, didn't have to do this manually. No, I wrote, I, I wrote little triggers to capture all right. this. Nothing. So I'm recording right now with you, but you don't see me talking, right. but talking to you. This is kind of, I think, what fascinated people. But the media has a hard time seeing invisible. Right. So you have to show them things. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me typing, you know. So, um, yeah. So, and then, but by 2010, I started wearing things on my body. Uh, I went to a, an event in uh, San Francisco and had my first body media, which was a galvanic skin response sensor. Got a, a posture sensor, which measured gait and posture. Um, I just, I started just layering things on top of my body. Do you have things on your body now? No, no, no. I know Did you how, yesterday? I know how to behave. Did you have things yesterday or the day before? No. Like in the last week, have there been things? Uh, no. The only thing I really have in my body now is my watch. It's kind of right. like meditation apps. Uh, one of my favorite people, his name is Rohan. He has a meditation app called Butterfly, and he says his goal is to get people to use the app so much that they don't need it anymore. Mm. So, you know, you only need to wear a kind of posture sensor until you can't to, to stop slouching. Right. All right. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things I wore early on, I don't need to wear anymore. And you had Google Glass, obviously. I had, Google, yeah, I, yeah. I had a really cool trigger in Google Glass. So if I spent too much money, I would get messages sent to Glass telling me to stop. So if I was at the bar after 11 p.m., I would get messages telling me to stop. If I didn't stop, my, my family would get messages. And if that didn't stop, my credit card got locked. Wow. So I geofenced my, uh-huh. my behavior. Yeah. Well, that's good for a 300-something pound man. It was so, really good for a 300. Yeah, because, you know, when you're 300 pounds, you can still get sex. You just pay for it. <sighs> One way or another. One way or another, yeah. Sorry, that was probably too, a bridge too far. No, there's no bridge too far on Team Human. But you started to lose weight because you were counting everything? So I started losing weight because I started actually seeing my life in a way I hadn't seen it before. So one of the first kind of early hacks was just putting exercise into my routine to eat bad. Because when you weigh 320 pounds, you want fast food. You don't want healthy food. I had never even had anything green in my mouth by 2012. Uh, but understanding there was a relationship between putting something in my mouth and the amount of work I had to do to get it. So walking to McDonald's was a big deal in the beginning. McDonald's was a half a mile away, which almost killed me. But I ate anything I want once I got there. The problem was once I got to Subway, which is about a mile and a half away, it became harder to keep up the pace because now I'm going even further. But the food got a little bit healthier. 
And that's when I noticed there was a real inverse relationship between how much the food cost and its health quality, because I was also logging how much I spent on the food. So in the beginning, it was kind of one of these, how many metrics are stacking up here? I finally got a bike so I could go to Chipotle, um, because Chipotle was the next level, both in price and health. Uh, but it was too far to walk. Uh, and once I got a bike, I kind of just, just started running to meals. And one thing leads to another. It's just all the information of your life that all these companies and technologies collect about you is unavailable to you. And therefore, I think, blinding and hurting people. And it's unavailable to us because I suppose if we had the data, we would be able to use it to express autonomy and agency and make choices. Whereas if they have it, they can use it to manipulate our decisions and make money off us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm pro-team human. Right. But I had to go through a lot of cyborg to get to the this, this side of human. Well, the trick with cyborg, though, I mean, and I've, I've written about it. I, I wrote about it a little in Coercion and later, I think, in Present Shock. I was reading about the My Life Bits project yeah. that Microsoft was doing. And that guy, who's that guy? Um, I, I know you're There's about. this guy there. Uh, uh, Bell, I think, is his oh, name. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Gordon Bell. Gordon Bell. And... He was like, they gave him a bunch of money and he was like their, their great test project. And on the one hand, he was saying, look, if we know this and know how many steps you took, how many heartbeats you had, how many calories you ate, how many this, how many that, isn't that great? And there's this, and everybody you met, every word you said, there's yep. this terrific record. And I just started yep. to feel like he's almost talking about making a map that's bigger than the territory, mm. you know, that that no one is going to actually go back and read because because if everything has equal value, then you don't have, this is not a, where's your special moments? You know, they're just all in that wash. Right, I'm going right. to take a picture at that moment, right, but right. not every friggin' second or I end up with what everyone has in their iPhone now is yeah. just a zillion pictures. And, and Which you don't look back at. Of course no, not. No one looks back at Because it's all flat. It's yeah. all equal, you know, whereas if it was, if it was uh, contoured, yeah. then I might. Uh, but the the worst part of it is it seemed to me like what they were trying to do was uh, convince us that this level of surveillance is okay. <laughs> you know, so it's my life bits, but really what it is is Microsoft's yeah. data engines. Yeah. And it was sort of the precursor to this world now yeah. where kids are, you know, entering everything into their Facebook feed or their Instagram, every piece of information under this sort of false race for fame. But really, it's just surrendering our data. Yeah. And this is the thing was, I, to me, it was never about collecting data. Some of the biggest misconceptions in stories, and you can't get people to write about you the way you want, because then it wouldn't be their story, it'd be yours. Right. Is um, it was, you know, you collected all this data, you wore this. No, no, no. I, I created behavioral fingerprints. What does fat look like? What does angry look like? What does um, uh, undersexed look like? You know, what are, what are the conditions? In the, but the behavioral fingerprint still isn't enough because then you just have lovely ideas of what a habit gets created. Then it was about the condition responses. So what could I do? So for example, if I went from 72, 73 decibels, which I'm right about now, up to 74 decibels, my lights would dim. So I always had to have the response to understand when I was entering a behavior so I could learn, oh, that's what that looks like. Because just having the data doesn't fix you. You have to have the, the loop, the feedback loop. So it's a, almost a form of uh, psychobiofeedback. Yeah, I gaslighted myself. Yeah. Right. So then if there is something. So if you're, um, let's say people are telling you, you know, occasionally you find out 
gosh, can you lower your voice a little bit? It mm-hmm. feels like you're being aggressive when you talk mm-hmm. like that. If you hear that two or three times and you think, oh, why don't I put a little diode in my eye mm-hmm. that lights up whenever I go mm-hmm. above this certain exactly. decibel level and kind of retrain myself and go, oh, wow, why did I just get mad? Why did I just get loud then? Was I mad? Was I excited? Mm-hmm. Was I just need food? And they're indistinguishable early. Right. They're indistinguishable early. Mad and excited. Right. So... Finding that, and today I have all sorts of crazy things I do with watching people rage on video to precondition myself to not be angry. Hmm. Uh, so I take the poison early by about outsourcing the empathy by watching someone actually lose their mind or have anxiety. Or so there's a lot of we can talk about that later. But I do a lot of things today where I don't need the feedback loop because it never needs to come because I I still have the emotions. I just have them exercised in a different way. In some ways, it's a. <laughs> I just form, realized how crazy that sounded. Well, it just, sounds <laughs> like a form of. Uh, you know, technotherapy. Yeah, that's it's what really, it is. It's really, it's almost a, a Skinner behavioral yeah, it, modification. It's a, it's a digiceutical. In a sense, yeah, but it's not, um, it, it's it's like digital braces or mm. digital PT. Exactly, exactly. And what I noticed was one time I was having an anxiety attack about 2015, really bad anxiety attack, really bad bout of depression. And I went on Google to starting to research my symptoms because I was sure I had cancer, I was dying again. And uh, I came across a video of this person actually having a panic attack. And about three seconds in, my panic went away. And it was bizarre to realize that watching someone in a condition I was in actually would cancel mine out. And then that started a good six-month research into, do all feelings work this way? Do they? So far. I mean, there's must be something to do with mimicking behaviors or mirror neurons or something. But I have a hard time staying in any state watching someone in that state. Even a, a sexy state. Well, that's kind of how porn works, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but porn is supposed to, I mean, they're supposedly in the state, and then that puts you in the state. It doesn't, like, cure you of the state. That's a good point. It takes mine away. So Maybe the, there's some sympathetic ones that yeah, are happy. The ones, ones I've done is anxiety, depression, and rage. Those are the three I watch that I keep. I have YouTube playlists for those people having those emotions. So I try to have a dose of uh, anxiety and depression at least once a week, and I try to have rage at least daily. So I don't carry it out into the world. I mean, maybe they're sort of purgative <laughs> moments. They're kind of cathartic. Well, the other thing is when I watch people have difficult emotions, I also start to understand my own so much better. I've been connected to so many things and had so much feedback in my life that one of the sadder parts about what I did was I lost kind of a, a touch with my own self. Like, what do I need? What drives me? Um, I also became convinced I knew what other people needed. And I don't. I don't know what people need. Uh, that's, a, that's a bias. But having other people experience those emotions, and it, we live in an age where people don't talk about their feelings. They don't talk about the biological response. My heart's beating fast. My stomach is in knots. And if they do, it's usually very private. Um, so, you know, by talking about these things and explaining how I experience them through technology and then back through myself, kind of an d- extra step, let's be honest, uh, it helps at least people talk about. Now more people say, oh, yeah, I have that feeling too. Well, it's weird for me. I mean, and this is, gosh, only in the last few years I've come to realize that the names I've put on emotions <laughs> are are these weird judgments. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sad. Mm. I'm envious. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. You know, and when I start thinking of them instead as like, as actual feelings, yeah. it's like, oh, my solar plexus feels exactly. heavy. Exactly. My fingers are kind of yeah. vibrating and numb. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, well, that's the 
that's the, the feeling. feeling. Yes, 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 you know? yes, I know. I'm with you. I now, know. what do you want to say about it is a whole I other know, thing. And it's a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, when they talk about voting, it's like people vote and then they come up with their reasons later. Yeah. You know, you make your decision, you make your purchase. And it's like, oh, well, I got that car because it's like, no, you got that car. Yeah. But it's, and it's, it's such narrative driven, right? So I'm sitting here with you right now. My stomach is in knots. Uh, my heart's being a little fast. And my fingers are sweating. Uh, that's because I'm excited to be talking to you and it's hot outside and a bunch of other things. But if I were to take these exact same biological responses without the narrative of this moment and put me on a plane, I'd be having a panic attack. Right. So it's, it's what I lend to, to it that creates it. Um, yeah, I just had to come to terms with, you know, as above, so below, but as outside, so within. And really start to come to terms of what is it this, this human thing that I live inside of and what am I learning about it by telling myself stories that aren't true. But you got a lot of this almost through the contrast of <laughs> all this digital stuff on. Yeah, I mean, when, when the, if you read the interviews or articles about you, it looks like mm. you're one of these technophiliac guys. Oh, I want to plug in everything and I'm going to get every adaptation. I'm going to insert yeah. my nano chip and yeah, make I my know, brain enhanced and all that. And then you'll get hired. And I don't want to not make you get you hired, but you'll get hired to do talks because mm. it's like this novelty. Oh, we've got yeah. the world's most connected man. He's going to come and he's going to read our read our iPhones, you yeah, know, read yeah, our palms yeah. and tell us our future and do all this weird. Oh, isn't he strange? Yeah. Isn't he wonderful? Is yeah. he wearing weird prism glasses? Um, I get it. I mean, I, I get it. But and that's not your, your, but meeting you, you seem like this very fleshy, sweet Disney little person. I am a fleshy, sweet Disney little person. But you know, the, <laughs> reading iPhone palmistry, right? So, you know, I, I go to conferences, conferences pay me a lot of money to sit in a booth and read people's iPhones. And people hand me their phones and I look at them and I look at the case, I look at the model, I look at the operating system, and then I just look at their home screen. I don't have to open anything. And I start telling them about their lives and people fall apart. Sometimes they cry, sometimes they become overwhelmed. And I just tell them about about their life and at the end they just feel so moved and I say to them now I want you to know I didn't do anything special I looked at your phone and told you what I thought you needed to hear or what I thought was what I found out if you don't think these are things you value if I don't if I said to you I think you work too much then and that may moved you then you need to do that and you can have this conversation with other people to me the phone and iPhone palmistry is a way we can talk about the difficult things we used to talk about that we stopped the same way, say, the Long Island psychic. Exactly. Because she has the excuse. I don't mean fake or real, whatever. Because she has the excuse of yeah. the dead person. Exactly. Your dead mother yeah. wants you to exactly. know. You, know, you should be in I a know, relationship <laughs> that serves you. You should be who you are. You shouldn't worry about what it yeah. was we wanted for you. Yeah. And it's like, we should. you should be able to sit with your friends in coffee and mm -hmm. hear, you should be whatever gender you want to be. You should do whatever you All want. All of it. All but, you know, the, the the phone gives us a reason to say those things. You know, right. reading someone's, and a lot of times it's just icons. A lot of times I'll see the uh, Snapchat icon on someone's phone and I'll go, someone's recently passed away and they're looking and it'll be like near the F, uh, the F for Facebook. And I'm like, an F name. And they'll go, oh my God, my dog, two years ago. And then they'll, so they create the connections, <laughs> right? So it's yeah. basically, you know, quantified self or, you know, the, the freakish version. Right, right. It really is. <laughs> so, um, but again, I, I feel so fortunate that I can have that relationship with strangers. You can't walk up to a stranger and tell them the things I can tell them without holding their phone and pretending you know. Right. And isn't that what we all want? Don't you want to look at someone and tell them what you think they believe so you can find out if you believe it? Isn't it advice just unrehearsed discussions you need to have with yourself? Right. 
But in these cases, the technology is a bit like uh, pharmaceuticals. Mm. It's compensation for the fact that we live in this this you know isolated, alienated, atomized world and all, and you're turning it on itself. So if if the the internet from AOL through Facebook yeah. era has been atomizing, you're saying okay, but we've got all this data, we've got all these toys, we have all these things, we can use them to kind of wake up again yeah. or re reacquaint ourselves with yeah. our biological and emotional selves. And I'll be honest with you, I was nervous to come on Team Human just because of a lot of things you've. You've mentioned you read, but the other thing is, I think it's too late to really go back. You know, the whole digital Amish thing. I just don't think it's possible for a large majority of people. Um, and then I also see a lot of people just shaming other people for how they use technology. Like you're always looking at your phone, but like, I hear that a lot. You know, but you don't know why people are looking at their phones. Most of the people I have relationships with don't know how to have relationships without their phones. So the last thing I'm going to do is make someone feel bad about it. Right. If you've become emotionally dependent to not know how to say you're happy without sending a, an emoji, who am I to judge you? Now, I can teach you what happy looks like out loud now that I know you like to use emoji or gifts. Right. But I certainly can't make you feel like crap because. No, but if you don't know how I'm to sensitive be about that, you don't know how to be happy without announcing it on Instagram, say. That might be a problem. Absolutely. And we've crossed this bridge now where not only do we not know how to talk about it, we now are taking digital technology back to the real world. I hear people say all the time, I'm lulling. Right. So they'll take text speech and say it out loud. So this kind of back and forth reverberation that we've been yeah. talking about, is, it's that's now inside out. So, I, I, you know, I've, the other day I was at some place and someone said, you know, I am screaming. They actually said that. I'm like, no, you're not screaming. No, I'm as if I'm texting. So you're having, and I said, so you're having the feelings. Yeah, I'm having the feelings, but I'm describing them out loud in regular speech. I'm like, okay, that's an extra step. Right. Well, the reversals <laughs> definitely, you know, the reversal definitely happened where, you know, we are modifying ourselves to, you know, optimizing humans for these technologies yeah. rather than the other way around. I know, I know. And, and, and your work, you know, certainly to the majority of team human listeners when they hear oh, okay he's doing all this stuff he's got all this data and then you publish these books that mm -hmm. have the sort of sum total of the various data that you did that mm -hmm. year your annual reports as, yeah. as they're called um i'll think oh man this guy's the enemy of team human i mean and you're not i no. mean you're you're it, trying to burrow down to again what it means what it means to be human yeah, in to, a digital age again so team human set in 2008 would have been a much different conversation with me than Team Human in 2018. But after a decade, the idea of being human has been made such duality. If you're online, you're not human. If you're offline, you're a good human. Well, put me in an age where I don't need to answer everybody's email to feed my family and I'll be your good human. But we live in an age where we have weaponized connections and the lack of connections. If I go to Target, I can't park my car. They removed the handicapped spots at Target for people who shop online. If I go to a Chipotle to get lunch now, if I don't order online, I get butted in front of by the internet. We're creating an entitled class of people who are only rewarded for being connected at the same time we're telling them they're horrible for using it. We've taken away right. their time and their dollars and we forced them to use these systems. And, uh, you know, if the world's most connected man can't say that, then we're all in a big trouble. Right. Well, it's what we were repeating with digital technology, what we did with the automobile uh, 100 years ago. I, I'm point. with you. 
You know, it's, well, now you got to move to the suburbs and now we're taking away your streetcar and now you've got to work. <laughs> People in America work one day a week yeah. just to support the car that they yeah, use yeah. to drive to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good, that's a yeah. good, good model. You yeah. know, luckily they had control of the government, so they, you know, externalized the private cost of the automobile to the cost of roads and everything yeah. else that we build. But that's what's happened to us uh, uh, digitally as well. And the other thing that happens, I mean, as you well know, you you really can't yet get the same sense of organic connection through digital technology that you can in real life. The you don't get the the rapport. No. The pupils don't dilate. You don't. No, exactly. You don't get the mirror neurons. Firing. Westworld. Uh, if you're, did you see Westworld? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Westworld did an amazing job of talking about. I would say my work, but it's not. You know, I'm, they didn't talk to me. But the whole concept of fidelity mm-hmm. when they're meeting with the uh, the host versus meeting with the humans, and when they we find out that's actually a reverse fidelity going on. To your point, you know, that's where they're like, okay, we can't cross that last bridge. We don't have the all of that kind of feeling, you know, what is that, that essential thing that is human? To me, it's the most provocative thing, but it's also led me into the kind of the whole mindful cyborg phase I did in 2015, where I really got into the mindfulness of technology. And now where I'm more into the pagan side of it. And you and I both are big fans of RAR, Robert Anton Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it all roads lead back to, to that, so. So you have a pagan practice? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my watch only ever displays. So my, my, my Google watch basically always shows me the moon phase. And if I need to be, if I need to present my shock, I just move forward and then I get the, uh, the actual phase of the 12 hour cycle for the sun. So yeah, I have a lot of digital pagan practices, uh, but I also have, you know, personal ritual practices, you know, full moon practices, um, uh, way retrograde coming up next week. So I have a retrograde practice that I do. Um, and these are extremely, uh, these are organic analog. Yes, I do those all practices. analog. Yes. Yeah, I have the all, I have analog practice, but I also have digital ones because let's be honest, I'm in front of a screen more than anything. So having both of them, but actually taking time to have the analog practices first connects me to other people who are interested. They're just like, oh, that's kind of weird and spooky. Let's do that together. And, you know, they're, they're, it works. But your connections with people, these are mostly real-world connections. You're All my connections with people are, are real-world. The problem I find is people who meet me, who do their research or read about me, suddenly expect one thing, and then they meet me, and they're kind of blown away. And then they get a little, to be honest with you, they get a little, they can sense my presence-ness. Mm-hmm. They can feel it. And it gets to be weird, because what we used to call paying attention now feels like surveillance. So I have to practice a level of distraction just to be friends with people, which I find uncomfortable. I hate pretending not to love someone, but giving someone all your attention or talking to a cashier makes them uncomfortable. Well, that was the problem. Timothy Leary had that yeah. problem. Yeah, I know. You know, especially yeah. after um, digital came, he started to see uh, face-to-face real-world contact as super sacred. These sacred, and he would, whenever he'd see, he'd be like, Douglas, yeah. and look right in your, and people would just cower. Because they weren't used to that yeah. that level of. I get always get that people tell me you're too intense. You're 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 paying too much attention to me. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, I understand. Then I'll I'll act. And and then you know the other things. Yeah, I have to do in a digital world. I have to ask questions twice, even though I don't need to. I have to pretend I didn't hear things, even though I did. The level of awareness that you can have that you then bring to the world is just un unwarranted, and people don't want it. It it's really disturbing. And how often I have to pretend to lose things or not know what's going on just to have my time in sync with everyone else's because everyone else is so distracted. You know, we're treating life like it's multiple browsers, like multiple tabs opened up and which tab was I in and, you know, having to slow down that way. So 
I don't know if I hurt myself become, by becoming as efficient as I did or I helped myself by becoming as present because the thing I did last year is I added a death stack to my phone. So my death stack basically tells me how every single piece of behavior is going to either add or subtract um, to your longevity, to my longevity. So I get messages all the time. You just added 23 minutes to your life. You just took an hour away from your life. The other thing I get is I get messages throughout the day saying you're going to die soon, right? It's like randomly, there's one right there. You're going to die soon. So being constantly provoked on my own death has really helped me tremendously, but it's also made my attention and my presence really kind of hyper strong. Right, but you're not one of those uh, longevity people. Absolutely not. I'm not uh, Aubrey de Grey. No, no. I'm actually looking forward. No, I'm looking forward to being geriatric and dying nice. I've already uploaded. Let's just be honest, right? (laughs) My husband, who's younger than I am, will talk to me uh, in the future. It'll be a really bad version, but he'll talk to me. Um, Do you think that we that there's something that happens after death organically, like to your consciousness? I mean, I, I feel I've always been here. I believe I'll always be here. You know, I, I think I'm part of you and you're part of me. Um, I think when I picked up your first book, I felt like I knew you, even though I hadn't read a page yet. I think all that kind of works. I mean, we're just nodes in a an organic kind of stardust network. So, so your work in some ways, it feels like, I mean, it's like mine and that what you're trying to do is help people see, look, there's an appropriate place for technology. <laughs> it's like in yours. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like yours. It is yours. Well, yeah, I, I meant that when I my first sentence was, I'm a student of Rushkoff University. You can't read your history of books and not be influenced at a, at a profound level. And I think well, anyone who doesn't come on this show and thank you sincerely for saving people's lives is doing the world a disservice. And I mean that. Thank you. Oh, that's sweet. I have a feeling you're the exception to the rule, <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate it. You know, it's about, uh, for me, it's always been about balance. I was a TV kid and just loved the stuff, yeah. you know, lost in space yeah. and the robot and yeah. everything. It was, uh, it seemed like something else was coming though, you know? know, and then this, this, and you know, the net started it took me away from theater because it was the net and it was multimedia and it was going to be so inclusive and hypertext and non-narrative and post-linear and then it became the same old you know linear business thing and most people who were doing the kinds of activities you were doing seemed to me to be people who are just priming us for further invasiveness you know for further invasion by these I agree companies. with you but these people that you're speaking of I mean you go anywhere from Ray Kurzweil to to great I mean there's always people who are a little further along when I started doing this remember I was really at the bottom of the barrel right right I didn't start getting I I totally understand why people confuse me with these kind of hyper narcissistic digital kind of celebrities but it saved my life it didn't it didn't make me rich well, I guess it got me a book deal. But I mean, it, it, it was never, I mean, the problem I find with the quantified self is these are people with first world problems who want other world problems. Right. You know, I, you know if you start right, from a- because they're afraid of third world problems. Yeah, so if, you're, if you start from a place of entitlement and just try to get better, you're the problem. Right. Start from a place of entitlement and get worse. I've been poor. My parents lived in their car. I've been wealthy or I've made a half a million dollars a year. Privacy doesn't exist for those two people. When you're poor, everyone knows you're poor. When you're rich, you don't care. Privacy is a middle-class condition. And whenever you hear someone say privacy is eroding, what they're really saying is the middle class. You don't care about your privacy when you're rich, and you don't have any when you're poor. It's a social condition. 
it's it's the currency in which we trade actual wealth, which is time, which goes back to all of your work and time. Right. Well, that's where I ended up. I know, right? I know. That's why time. I just, that, yeah. dude, you and time. Because it's all you got. You're traveling. I don't care what you know yet, but you are traveling <laughs> through time. <laughs> you are. Well, the weird thing about having data, though, about your whole life. life yeah. and Ten years now. It's another Westworld phenomenon. I, know. I mean, where, I mean, the, the fidelity they talked about in Westworld, as I watched that show, what I kept thinking about was, well, with all the surveillance going on, with all of my email deep in Gmail's coffers somewhere, <laughs> that my past, my past can be retrieved mm. with increasingly perfect fidelity. Yes. So that my past won't recede the way it used to. Mm. It was like that out of focus, you know, the trip we took to France when I was 14 years old and there's two photos and it's a memory. And even if, you know, my brother came to me now and said, oh, you did this when we were there. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. but that's the way you remember exactly. it. Exactly. Now... He's got the facts. There's indelible everything yeah. for everyone. And and so it's it almost feels as if you can't grow. You can't change. You can, it's present shock. Right. The past is there with equal fidelity <laughs> as the present. Including the future. Because then you look at AI, and AI is just about to predict based on your past what you want. So I always say the real magic in technology, and when I say magic, I mean dark side, is found in two areas, the, the recent and the soon. So it's not about the past or the future. It's about what just happened to you and how to define what's about to happen to you. In our minds, not only are we dealing with, uh, with narrative challenges, you know, being nonlinear or linear, but we spend all of our time using devices that are nonlinear for a large part in a world that's linear. So, you know, the shock we're feeling is being ripped apart of the seams there. Where I worry about what you're talking about with, with, with uh, history being recorded is today a lot of people are on Facebook. And Facebook has a feature where it serves you your memories every day. Right. which has been around for a while, which is great. You know, that's cute. Here's my memories. But what we're finding is because of the increase in global catastrophes, disasters, shootings, a lot of people are wrapping their profile photos in banners. So here's my pro Pulse nightclub. Here's my school shooting banner. And what that means is every day you wake up to be reminded of another disaster that you believed in. And we're not looking at the psychological impact when every single recorded memory on billions of people are wrapped in disasters. It's not a box of photos your mom saved. It's a box of human disasters that you have to see when you scroll through someone's photos. And I worry that we haven't really thought about the psychological impact of not only reminding you of this, but then Facebook took us what I think was the step too far, was they now allow you to go in and edit and say, I don't want to see things about that, or I don't want to see things involving that. So you've got sunshine of the spotless mind, because you can go in and edit your memories selectively now on Facebook. You can say, I want to, I want to take a break from my boyfriend on Facebook, which then they know about that. It's very, very dystopian at a level that I think we're not being honest about. Much more dystopian than robots taking your jobs. You erasing your own memories because they're uncomfortable. You're supposed to feel that's team human. Right. You're just basically putting a restraining order on anything you don't want to You're know putting about. a restraining order on yourself from the past. Right. Which is the, the, the opposite of, say, uh, uh, the, the myth of eternal return. <laughs> You know, where everything is here all the time. It's the opposite of reincarnation and, and karma. And yeah. Yeah. You can eliminate it. But know what it is? It's the human version of the way corporations externalize anything that they don't yeah. want. Yeah. Just take all the waste product and send it to China and let yeah. those kids deal with it. Yeah. I just, every time I see this kind of update in our operating system or apps, it's always about removing more human interaction 
or kind of like allowing you to edit more of your own pass. I just, you know, we've got this fall, we've got Apple and Google both releasing tools where you can surveil your own behavior. Like, okay, and you can say, okay, I'm spending too much time on Facebook, put these digital shock bracelets on me. But the reality is we know how that's going to be used. Parents are going to watch their kids and start locking down software. And like you're a parent, that's your job, right? If you need software to be a parent, maybe don't have sex. And then the, uh, the other thing is I know how most couples are going to use it. As soon as there's a fight, let me see your phone. What have you been doing? We haven't thought about kind of what it means. Yes, we're enlightening people to their own behavior, kind of what I did really early on. Uh, but we're not thinking about how you weaponize it. And that's the one thing I see over and over. Apple's done more to make screenshots useful. You now can annotate them. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've taken a screenshot on your phone. Why are they putting so much effort into screenshot technology? What, to make you better? No. It's to turn people on each other. Trump is here because we can screenshot stuff, not because he's anything else. He's a screenshot hashtag president. He's a response to surveillance. He's not anything we need to worry about. He's the response to Anthony Weiner. Yeah, of course. Yeah. As it were. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Weiner, he went down because of screenshots. You know, Trump is up because of them. So I think until we learn to, to use surveillance in kind of a meta way, we're, we're going to continue to struggle. But I, I mean, I, I, I hope. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to sound all down. I do believe that things are getting better. I actually can feel it. Well, you pushed through the surveillance thing to the other side. Yeah, I had You surveilled to. yourself in a way that most of us... And gave would, it away. Right. Make it public. You can see my tax returns right now. I, I, no, there's, no, you have to go all the way. Right. I mean, the, the good side of that and I think I spoke about this once, is I feels like, well, one response of society to the fact that we're all under surveillance is gay marriage. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. If, you, if, if, exactly. if the guys are all having sex with each other, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Either you can't surveil them anymore yeah. or make it okay, or the legalization of pot. It's right. like, yeah, what are they all doing? They're all smoking pot. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Well, let's just normalize those things, and then people will consent to being surveilled all but the time. But what did that do to the gay community? So, you know, it normalized them in perhaps a, a bad way, though. It, that's it, what I'm saying. They did. I'm a gay guy. It did. Right? I'm a 50 year old gay guy. I lived through AIDS and a bunch of other things. I mean, we've got a community now that, you know, really has become more segregated. It's more body shaming. Go on Grindr. It just it, it's a hate. It's a hate group. Right. We should take anything out. Just skip the alt right and go after the people on Grindr, because I think the minute you shame like someone from being Asian or heavy, it, it's just really ugly. And the the data behind Grindr is really what, what bothers me. Grindr is one of the few apps that will tell you if someone's walking, driving, or sitting still. And when I used to use Grindr, I'm like, I'm not anyone who's sitting in their car war driving cock, I'm not interested in, right? Because that's what you could do, right? You could just literally drive around like, and look for it. And, you know, I was they're just. On the, they're on the literally pre predators. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, gay men are always have this really way of adopting technology and just taking it to the absolute extreme. And it really kind of freaks. Now you see men advertising, I'm on prep, you know. Prep is oh, a, for a, a drug HIV. for HIV, and it just it, we saw a sign. There's a grinder, the musical in London right now. I was just on a subway here in New York, and I was like, you know, there's grinder posters, and I'm just like, uh, grinder's not a model for relationships. No, but there's there's different cultures around different apps and companies. So we work yeah. say, is it equally strange? They just got rid of meat. If you work at WeWork and you're an employee, you're not allowed to eat meat and expense it. <laughs> They're saying it's because it's, you know, but they were surveilling the receipts on the employee expenses saying, you know, we've got all this expense on food and food is one of the things is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bridge too far, but it's okay. It's interesting though, mm -hmm. but they are, they are creating these cultures. I mean, of with specific values that are then enforced 
one way or another by the technology or by the platform. Yeah. And, and I love looking at technologies through the lens of social media. To me, Uber is a great social network, right? Because I only Uber pull and I get to meet new people that way, mm. right? I only stay in Airbnbs where I stay with the host in the same house. So for me, I've always kind of tried to exploit the kind of connectedness to get me more team human, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, you have to come through that bridge of being really isolated. And I think right now technology makes it too easy to be alone. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I'm generally a get off the device whenever you can kind of person. And, uh, you know, just because I work behind a computer and one time with people and my daughter with, you know, yeah. with you looking mm. in people's eyes and yeah. experiencing being human and alive yeah. rather than just working at the same time. And people have, have, you know, brought it up as if it's some great inconsistency. They say, Oh, well, you talk about getting back in the body and here you are doing a digital podcast. Yeah. That's you shame. Know? That's they're shaming right. you. Exactly. This but is it, why I try not to talk about or that. as if it's a, it's a very old sophomoric yeah, technique. Of like, Oh, sophomoric. you're talking against the market, but now you're selling a book. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, where do we begin? You know, and that's why I always say, you know, business is not the problem. It, you know, it's a digital capitalism is the problem. There's, there's differences, but with, with at least if, you're conscious of how you're using technology. You understand the downsides, and the, but you also understand the upsides. So it's like, okay, this is an audio podcast, not video. And it, consciously that, because I know audio affects the body differently yeah. than looking at a piece of video. We can be with somebody in their car or in their ears as they jog or whatever they're doing, and sound is so intimate. Mm -hmm. You're in their body, ideally, speakers in their living room moving the air in the room against their body i can feel my breath in the mic when we yeah i mean it's like oh you know that's um this is the closest i can get to touching sound is almost yeah. like touching yeah. versus some you know objective picture that looks like yeah. what an msnbc talk <laughs> show you know chevron there's right. no chevron in podcast well people get all oh objective when yeah. you look at at video and i kind of don't want them i want them subjective yeah. and yeah i, I Soft and squishy. I like soft and squishy. I'm, I'm very pro squishy. Yeah. So, so what are you working on now? Well, I have a book coming out uh, in September called Don't Unplug. Um, and how And the subtitle is How Technology Saved My Life and Save Yours Too. In the book, I have the 10 areas of my life, social media, environment, health, etc., that I, I mapped. Uh, a little bit of commentary and my, rush, my best rush cough uh, for the first couple pages of each chapter. Then a couple stories about... Everything from how I made my friends change colors by only liking and responding to posts where they wore certain colors. Uh, so I would see how, how long it took me to put people, make people wear red, uh -huh. uh, things like that. To, you know, health and finances. You know, I, I spent a lot of time tagging uh, financial transactions with the feeling I was having when I spent the money, not the actual category for uh -huh. the stuff. So, and, and then I give some tips at the end. So that's coming out in September. Uh, I've got, you know, speaking gigs that I'm going doing all over. I was here doing EmojiCon. So I was talking about how I use emoji for emotional health. Uh, so I don't actually use a lot of words in my titles for things. In my file system, it's by emoji. Um, yeah, so I've got, you know, this kind of Chris level stuff. And then I'm always doing a little bit of consulting here and there. What do they want to know from you? Uh, well, I'm doing some consulting with the uh, School of uh, Chronobiology in Pittsburgh. Um, and usually it's just understanding kind of behavioral feedback. Um, so what type of information can you collect from someone? Um, obviously people are all obsessed with data collection, but what they don't have is, is a language for data collection. So for me, data collection falls in five buckets. So you've got the, and it's their friction buckets. When I mean friction by like how much effort does it take to collect? So the easiest 
bucket to fill is time. When did something happen? We're all watched by yeah. clocks. The second bucket is where. Where did something? That's also pretty easy to get. Geo geolocation now, it's exactly. nothing. But time and location together get you season, right? So we don't think about why it's important to have these layer mm -hmm. talks is because we don't see how they interact with each other. The second layer is activity, sitting, standing, walking, driving. So any type of volition, also easy mm -hmm. to do with GPS, right? So volition, place, and time tell you a lot about someone's life with just those three data points, and they're all constantly collected. The next layer, layer is behavioral. So are you posting to Facebook? Are you in a meeting right now? My calendar says I'm in a meeting with you. Uh, are you talking to someone? Uh, beyond behavior, you've got biology, obviously. You know, if you're wearing a, any type of wearable, you've got heart rate, et cetera, right. sleep. And then on top of behavior of environmental. So I teach a lot of companies to use these six layers to understand what you can glean from or help people glean from themselves. So for instance, I don't need more pop-ups telling me I need to do things. I need pop-ups at times that are more convenient. So I'm sitting still on a bus, remind me now to do something at the grocery store, right? So I need more thoughtful notifications. Um, so I try to help people understand how that, that data set can be used to make you feel more present and more alive. Um, one of the earliest things I did with myself was I would return pictures of myself being healthy when I was being unhealthy. So the feedback loop was if I had been static for a long time and I was eating pretty bad, my phone would show me photos of me doing healthy things. So memory is a service, right? So the idea was really using these kind of condition states. So I, I didn't mean to do a consulting no, riff that's on good you. Though. Is there any way <laughs> to do these sorts of things though, even you know, individually without yeah. just rendering yourself up onto the Well, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, Valley. you do have to be on a device of some sort. Uh, but, I, you know, there's a lot we can do with IFTTT recipes, which is, uh, or Zapier. They're two services that can, you can install the devices on your phone. Some simple things. If you have an iPhone and Android, one of the things I love is I have location set up for my home. So whenever I go home, it says, remember, Fernando, my husband, loves you. So the minute I pull in home, before I even get inside, I get a message saying, Fernando loves you. All of the devices on my body are named things. My watch is called compassion. My phone is called empathy. Whenever they connect to each other, I get reminded. So there are simple things we can do in the internet. So you, right? Not connecting right. to someone else. But like isn't it ultimately, shouldn't you, if you pull in your driveway, or walk into your home mm -hmm. and you get the message, he loves you, shouldn't you use that as a cue, transfer that to something else. So you get that message and then you can look at your house and say, I mean, we talk about magic. I'm going to now, whenever I see the front door, mm -hmm. I'm going to remember Fernando loves me. Mm -hmm. So you train yourself to do that. So you create a new anchor. Mm -hmm. You know, no, so, that, I, so it's, it's yeah. anchored so, in the real world. I don't talk about my digital magic, but I do do a lot of digital magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I collect photos and when I've been out of town and Fernando's alone, I'll actually have the house condition itself to be a memory or a romantic dinner. So the lights will go into the same colors, the temperature will change and it'll be kind of a warming way to remind him that I'm there. He'll text me and say, I just got your feeling. Um, I'm way into what you're saying. Uh, but there's a level also of kind of creepiness about that. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, well, someone who's like, in even, a relationship with you will know well, exactly, this is the right? way that you They're express me. your love. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> even Alexa is, is, is set up to remind him if he's in the kitchen cooking that I love him and that I'm thinking about him. So, again, to me, the technology, as connected as I am, has become a beacon, a sigil, if you would, for my love. I mean, yeah, I'm, if I'm going to be surveilled, I'm going to love through it. And has anything bad happened yet? Has there been any... Uh, sort of surveillance downside to what you've done as a company figured something out or the government come 
crashing through your door. No, I mean, I've done some stuff with some kind of larger corporations that I saw end up in their work. Um, uh, you know, save it for, for the book. But yeah, uh, yeah but you yeah. haven't been per- you haven't felt personally. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. You know, I, that's I'm sure you get questions. You're like, yeah, you wrote a book, but you're about no capitalism. But you wrote a book. Yeah, I get questions all the time. Like, you know, aren't you afraid someone's going to steal your identity? You know, if you want my identity, you deserve it. Uh, no, nothing yet. The problem isn't the privacy around identity. The problem is we're dependent on it, right? If someone's going to steal my identity, that's not, that's, that's a, like, that's, you lose your wallet, right? It's, but the problem is the fact that I'm so dependent on my wallet, right? So I, I don't, I'm really weird about it. I, I, and my Twitter profile, so I'm post privacy. I just, I'm so hung up with the fact that we're not addressing the actual problem. I, we can't get rid of all these systems until like everything collapses. <laughs> well, right. It's like you can't de electrify exactly. the world. So You're I not going like, to de uh, internet it either. Yeah. So n- nothing, nothing horrible yet. And you know, who knows? Maybe in the future. But again, what a good story. We don't have an Edward Snowden for the body. I wish we did. We, you know, it'd be interesting if that happens to me. But, you know, every employer above a certain size is monitoring their, they take blood from their employees. They monitor, you know, I don't need to tell you what we're doing at employee. Employee wellness is probably the, the biggest scam there is out there. Well, it's the biggest oxymoron since human exactly, resources. right. Yeah. <laughs> human resources, employee wellness, right? And those are the, and I worked in that field. Right. You know, I, one of the big, first one, big healthcare companies I went to um, in 2014 was a, was a, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know some ugly stuff. Um, and it's, it goes back to this Richard Tapio, who's a mathematician I like. He says, we don't know how to measure what we care about, so we care about what we measure. And, you know, productivity is, is one of those things that, well, we can measure it, so let's, 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 let's care about that. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, digital is, is trapped in metrics of one kind or another. It's quantifiable. Yeah. And it can't quantify anything that can't be quantified. Yeah, exactly. And I keep worrying that the more we focus on quantifiable or transactional aspects yeah. of existence, the more we actually believe that the 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 ideal blockchain can account for everything, the more we fall into the trap that human experience can be accounted for. Yeah. Quest for Fidelity should be your your book after this one. Yeah, because the real human is the stuff that falls between the, the cracks. Yeah, the real human for me is like when I email you, Doug, and and I, I need to ask you for a favor or just something. Just tell me, I think I sent you an email just saying I'm thinking about you. I want to send you flowers. The fact is that even though I wanted to send you flowers, I, I felt guilty for emailing you because I didn't want to take a second of your time away. So when I construct emails or do messages, I literally, I'm thinking about the future, about the consumption. And I hate taking someone's life away. When I get something and I have to click unsubscribe, I almost wish someone hurt every time I clicked unsubscribe. Because what they're doing is they're taking a second away from the people I love. And even though I'm sending you an email to tell you that I'm thinking about you and I love you, I'm still taking that away from you. And that's, that's the essence. You can't, you'll never capture that in a system. That the fact that I care more about being a good ancestor to Doug, Doug Rushkoff than I do to like anything else. You know, I care about people's future. And isn't that what being human's about? Yeah, well, I have a feeling that, you know, only those who've really experienced the onslaught yeah. of what email can do and yeah. how it can. I mean, I've made choices. I'm either going to answer emails this year or write a book. Yeah. You know, that. And you <laughs> need to, but, you need, but you need to tell people they need to be that blunt. They're either going to have a family or they're going to answer email. Right. It, it really it's that is. Simple. It's that simple. You're either going to eat healthy or you're going to eat fast. 
I mean, the best was when I was going through, I was got up to like 2,000 emails a day I was getting, and I just couldn't read them all. It's like, what the hell am I going to do? I just I wrote to uh, Cory Doctorow, because, mm. you know, he's a really great take. If yeah. people don't know, he's on Boing Boing. He's a science fiction writer. I wrote him this email and said, Cory, I'm getting all these emails. I don't know what to do. How do you respond? What can I do? And I got an automated reply that said, I'm sorry, I'm not answering my emails right now. I'm working on a book. If it's about book business, do this. If it's this. And I was like, thank you. you know, and I realized I didn't resent him at all for that. And I re- the real reason why I'm answering some of the emails I answered is because I'm afraid the person who sent it will be mad at me yeah. for not having done it. Or You're maybe- thinking about the future. Maybe they've read my book and they feel like, well, now they deserve some customer service on it. Or you're help desk you know. for your ideas, right? Yeah, we all are our help desks for our ideas. Where yeah. I resent it is when someone hasn't read the book and wants me to basically summarize it for them yeah. in an email. That's sort of mean. But uh, you know, I, yeah. there's all sorts of email abuse too. I mean, I like what Doctor O does with his emails, but what the, one of the things that really bothers me is if you send someone an email and you get an out of office response, and then a minute later you get an actual response from them, I literally want to say you're basically abusing me because like a majority of your people, you know, aren't getting past the filter, but like I'm important. Don't use your out of office response. If you're being selective, what you're doing is teaching other people to ignore people right in front of them. There's all of these kind of subtle digital habits that we've, we use as crutches sent from my iPhone as an excuse for misspelling. Just feel okay with the fact you don't spell well. Right? I just wish we could call the crutches what they are and, and just be honest about why we use them. I don't know. Have you ever answered an email with your out of office turned on? I haven't used one uh, yet. Okay. So yeah, I'm real careful about that. I just I don't I've like to set been, a precedence. I've never been out of my office. That's a good point. <laughs> this world yeah. the world is my office. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But like like I was saying to you, you know, I just I'm I'm so thankful that you know people do email you and, and you know, you're you're a good man, Douglas. Thank you. You're a good man, too. <laughs> thank you. I, thank you for what you're doing and not using it to uh, just tell everyone to buy implants, but rather to uh, reconnect with, you know, really just to, to help make visible aspects of our humanity that may have been uh, occluded yeah. by modernity. Yeah. And, you know, we're entering an age, you know, that I'm most concerned and why I think the book, well, I'm so happy about what's coming out, is we're entering an age now where the screens are going away. Let's be honest, right? People worried that our kids are going to be, you know, tech neck, t- text neck and everything. It's going away. We won't have iPhones in front of us in 10 years. 2028, write me and say I was wrong, right? There's, there's no phones you're staring at in 2028. If you look at the devices coming out of Apple and Google over the last three years, they've either been in your body, ear pods, or in your home or in your car, right? So we, if we can all just agree for a moment that there are no screens in the future, right? Then we have to say, okay, that's, you might be right, but what, why, why would that make you worry? Isn't that a good thing? No, because I know for a fact that once you lose the interface, someone else turns you into a puppet, right? And the data it takes to make you a puppet is much scarier than someone ignoring you during dinner. Right. So and if you thought- At least we knew where the screen exactly. was. I know where your attention <laughs> is. Exactly. So life after the interfaces, which I, you know, I thought that would have been a good night name for the book, but publishers, publishers are scary people, very scary <laughs> publishers. Well, you Barnes and Noble owns owns our titles now, while they're still around. They uh, no, I, uh, I've had a I had a title of a book rewritten by and a cover everything. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I guess I'll, was, I'll I'll say it now. Yeah, Barnes and Noble rewrote my title too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're in a proud pantheon. Yeah, I know. Uh, my book was called I Am You Tomorrow because I wanted people to actually be hopeful that, okay, you can be like crazy connected like Chris Dancy and actually still care about key people. Yeah, you can. Uh, but, you know, they like the idea of don't unplug, which is also a message of the book. You know, don't yeah. go backward, go forward. Yeah. You don't have to unplug. No. No, but you definitely have to join. But when you unplug, just don't come back online because we call that resurrection and that creates religions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! And then people unplug anyway. They're on Bluetooth. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, again, you can't unplug. And even if you are one of these people who walks around with a flip phone like Anna Winter, the problem is in 2018, the people you're talking to are just large devices, right? right. They're just they're in their device world, even though they're acting. Go into a gay bar today. It's like you can see the scruff gay guys. You can see the grinder gay guys. You can see the little app groups. We used to call them clicks, but now they're mm -hmm. app groups, right? <laughs> And it's so wild because I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't want to live in a world where everything is an app. Because let's be honest, you don't download apps, you download habits. And a habit looks a lot different in a world without screens. So that's, I'm, I really wish we were to start getting there, but I really have hope. I feel we're in a good time. I feel things are turning around. I know people probably think that's crazy, but I also said a while ago, you know, that things were going to get bad and they did. So, right. No, and I'm trying to look at this period, you know, Trump and all as just, Certain things that have been repressed are now very yeah. visible, yeah. very vocal, very present and out there. And so when you got to deal with it, yeah. it's when your hernia pushes through and you're yeah. like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you're so visual. going to have to do something here. Someone I heard someone once Trump was uh, the, 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 the day Trump was elected. Someone said something. And then like a week later, I read my favorite Trump political quote. And I, I try to avoid politics because it's just a, it's a non-winnable non game. But uh, the quote I heard was sunlight's the best disinfectant. And uh, I love the, the permit patties, uh, all the kind of mimification of people who are just raging against each other and against the machine, you know, and calling people out. Because again, I think it's, I'd rather know you hate me and just work with that than not know. I worked in a system before where I never saw it. Yeah, I deepened my voice when I was at work so people wouldn't know I was gay. I tried to use neutral pronouns before we even had pronounless speech as a mandated right. thing. Uh, but at least now I know when I, you know, where it's okay and where it's not. I mean, I, I put myself in airplane mode, not my devices. <laughs> Chris Dancy, mm -hmm. thank you for being on Team Human. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining Team Human. Our guest today was Chris Dancy, a.k.a. the most connected man on earth who just finished his book, Don't Unplug, How Technology Saved My Life and Can Save Yours Too. You can find out more about Chris Dancy at chrisdancy.com. We'll be back in the basement media squad at Queens College Laboratory for Digital Humanism next week with more of humanity's strange and wonderful efforts at evolution. We are entirely worker and listener supported. You can also help the show by reviewing Team Human on iTunes, we put a link in the episode description in your podcast player. We're also broadcasting on a few college and community stations. If you want us on yours, please email stephen at teamhuman.fm. That's stephen with a ph at teamhuman.fm. This show is, after all, produced and engineered by Stephen Bartolome. This is Team Human, our last best hope for peace.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.